Hello, one and all. Welcome back to yet another episode of History Spelunkers, your show where we take a dive into the stories of niche and obscure from our history and see what we can find. I am your host, Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and it's just me today because today's episode is part two of our episode on Moby Dick and the tragedy of the Essex and the history of American whaling. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, pause here and go back and do that. It's a very good episode. And once you've done that, you can come back and hop right down the rabbit hole. So now there's 19 of these guys. Well, I guess 20 because uh, with the captain. So 20 guys in three boats in the middle of the ocean. I didn't go down the ship. 2,000 nautical miles from the closest sizable landmass of South America. And each one, they like rearrange themselves with supplies and stuff to where each ship has like someone of command. So uh, ship one had Captain Pollard. Ship two had Owen Chase. And the third had the second mate, Matthew Joy. And luckily for them, they were able to secure some navigational equipment and charts before the ship went down. So they were actually able to like figure out where they were in the world and saw that there was a group of islands called the Marquesas that were only about... 1200 nautical miles to the <laughs> west of them and uh with the way the currents and stuff are going that's the way they wanted to that's the closest thing we got let's head towards towards there. asia well more towards australia but mm. yeah but uh mr chase brought up a very serious concern of his want to point out that uh hey you know that island might be full of cannibals Mm. valid um because that was the rumor at the time was the marquesas and a lot of south pacific islands were inhabited by barbarian savage cannibals that will eat us if we show up but given the time yeah I wonder no, it's how... just some racist bullshit yeah oh yeah i was gonna say <laughs> um yeah that, but the crew thought it was valid so they decided no we're going to go the longer way in the opposite direction to a, quote, more civilized coast in South America. Unfortunately, because of the way the wind and the ocean currents worked, it wasn't just like a straight 2,000 nautical mile trek. <laughs> they had to go southwest about 1,000 miles before they could then turn around and then make a 3,000 mile trek to the east before they ended up in Chile. That's crazy. That's why you don't be racist. It makes your whaling trips inconvenient. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, all the, you know, the prejudice and the other. It, that's not their, good. Their racism gets worse, you can argue, as this trip goes oh, on. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah. So each ship had uh, several hundred, or each boat, I guess. They're not really ships. Uh, they had a few hundred pounds of hard tack which are basically like giant saltine crackers. Okay. But that will like break your teeth. 
if mm. you're not careful. What? Because they're so dense. Oh. Um, Calories. And so you got hardtack. You Each boat has about six tortoises on them for your meat and 65 gallons of fresh water. 65 gallons? Mm-hmm. How many miles do they travel in a day? Uh, depends. Not a whole lot. You'd be lucky to get, you know, a few dozen. What? How big are these boats? Whale boats are about probably like a good 10, 12 feet long, maybe. And they can oh. fit all of that? Yeah. I mean, it's Well, they stamp the tordi. Yeah. yeah. Tordi. And they eat them pretty quick. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's not a comfortable trip by any means. Are they still trying to whale? No, that that's that ship has sailed literally to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they're just in full survival mode now, and they're expecting it's going to take them about two months before they reach Chile, which is their goal. So, oh yeah, it's going to be fun, unless someone runs into them and gives them a ride if they are so lucky. Spoiler alert, they're not going to be lucky. So Someone's going to tell the story. One person lives. uh, You know... What? I mean, people do survive. I'll I'll give you that. People will survive this. They might not wish they had, but... Oh, Lord. uh, So off they are on their trek again. And almost immediately their plan starts to go awry. You know, I said they had several hundred pounds of hardtack. Well, a lot of that got contaminated by salt water, so it starts to <coughs> get pretty gross rather quickly. So they just dump it off? Uh, no, because you got to eat it, but it's mm, it spoils very fast, so you got to eat it faster than you would have rather liked to. And it also, uh, yeah, it's eventually you do have to get rid of it. But, um, and also by eating it, you dehydrate yourself more because it's salt. Oh, and then yeah. that makes you use up your water rations more. And so, yeah. And also it's dry. Mm-hmm. So after only a couple of weeks, a lot of the men are already seriously ill and have resorted to drinking their own piss. And basically <clears throat> they are under, this isn't like, a leisure cruise also like they're not just sitting around waiting for the currents because they are in boats that are not made to sail on the open ocean for prolonged periods of time. Uh, So it's like constant renovations to keep the ships from sinking and bailing water and repairing the sails. It's a rough time to go of it. Good bonding exercise though. Yeah, I guess get really close with your boys. They get really close. Um, How close? You'll find out. Oh, <laughs> uh, so this goes on for about a month. And on December 20th, there's a sliver of hope because just as the men run out of water and they're starting to die of dehydration, they come across an uninhabited island that has a freshwater spring on it. Okay. And so it's a Christmas miracle. The basically. Boys out. They managed to find birds, eggs, crabs, the freshwater, like I said, moment of respite. And they were used, 
using their charts and stuff, they determined that they were on the Pitcairn Islands. And so they they have an idea where they are. They're actually rather close to civilization. Uh, they didn't know it at the time, but they were only about 120 miles away from the nearest like settlement. There's a missionary station on an island that if they had gone to, they would have been safe. But again, they thought cannibals were there. Mm. So they did not do that. Cannibals are Christians, you know? It's like... I mean, yeah. Which do you want to... so uh they remain on the island till christmas but by then they realize that the 20 of them are basically if they stay there they will kill every living thing on the island because it's so small and they will have eaten all of it so yeah they're about to wipe out a bunch more animals (laughs) population Uh uh-huh and so (laughs) They decide that it's best to try and gather up a bunch of supplies and then head on out. Three of the men, they decide that they're not going to do that. They're just going to stay on the island and we'll just wait it out. Hope someone comes by and and we can signal them. But we're too sick to go back on those boats. And... um, these three men are William Wright, Seth Weeks, and Thomas Chapel. And they decide to stay on the island. The rest of the 17 men head back out on the ocean on December 27th. And their goal now isn't even to reach South America. They want to reach uh, Rapa Nui, which is Easter Island. They figure that's their best shot to try and get to there. But by December 30th, they had already run out of all like the fresh meat and stuff that they gathered from the island. In 10 days? All right, in six days? Five days? Because they left Christmas, right? So they left on the 27th. So it's been three days. Literally three days. Mm-hmm. Hungry boys. I mean, there's only so much sustenance you can get from a crab and a little bird, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, and by the new year, they like they're starting to run out of fresh water again by january 4th 1821 they check you know where they're heading on the ocean currents and they're they're not going to make it to rapa nui they've drifted too far south so they've decided that they're gonna head for the island of mas a tierra which Today is ironically known as Robinson Crusoe Island, which is another famous castaway on the open ocean from literature. But uh, which one is the book's called Robinson Crusoe? Yeah, (laughs) but um, I have a handy list here of the remaining people on the three boats and which boat they're on for y'all to keep track of. There's a lot of boys. But uh, you're dealing with like 10 guys total, yeah. No, you got 17 men left. So, on boat one, you got Captain Pollard, Samuel Reed, Owen Coffin, Barzillai Ray, ideal Charles Ramsdell. (laughs) On boat two, you got first mate Owen Chase, Richard Peterson, Isaac Cole, Benjamin Lawrence, Thomas Nickerson. And on boat three, you have the second mate Matthew Joy. 
Obed Hendricks, William Bond, Lawson Thomas, Charles Shorter, Isaiah Shepard, and Joseph West. Okay. You're going to want to keep track of what happens to all these people because I'm going to kind of be hopping around. What happened to the people on the, the island? Do we know? They live. The three people? Uh, that will come in time. All right, all right. Jump in the game. We're, 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 we're worried about dropped. the boats right now. All right. Um, because a week on uh, into this endeavor, January 10th, we get our first death. Oh. Second mate, Matthew Joy, on boat three. He's out of there. He passes away and is buried at sea. Does that mean they just stole him over board? Yeah. Oh. Mm. Um, so, yeah. He... He's gone, which is yep. probably good. Is it? Unless the best case scenario, them. considering what happens next. Oh, um, God. So Obed Hendricks becomes the leader of mm. Boat 3. And on the very next day, there is a storm which causes Boat 2, captained by Owen Chase, to become separated from the rest of the group. And so now it's Boat one and three are together, and boat two is off drifting oh, on its own. Little Tommy. They didn't tie themselves to each other? Like, I'm no boat expert. That feels like it would be a bad idea. Yeah, no, that's not how it works. That's not how boats <laughs> work? I didn't know that. Plus, if, if, if just one of the boats gets knocked off course somehow, then the, all three of y'all get, you know, taken off to wherever. Wouldn't it be a better idea? You know, maybe this is wrong of me, but I'd rather cut my losses than if, you know, Mike. If boat three is over there, but you know they're floating away, but I'm on boat one and I'm still on course. I'm yeah, like, you're like, well, you'll figure it out. Good luck. Your second mate for a reason. Good yeah. luck, boat three. Yeah. Um. So two? I'm I'm gonna yeah go chronologically, even though they're all gonna get kind of separated. So that's why you're gonna want to keep the, the list. But um, Matthew is gone. Two is gone. Boat one. Yeah. So still on cool. January fourteenth. The boat headed by Obed Hendricks, they ran out of food and had to borrow some rations from Captain Pollard's boat. On January 18th, Richard Peterson passes away and is also buried at sea. Rip. January 20th, in Hendricks' boat, Lawson Thomas passes away. Rip, though. However... He is not given a burial at sea. Oh, no! They eat him? The crew decides that they have no choice but to resort to cannibalism. How ironic. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess so. They, they have became become the things the, that they yeah. were scared of. They swore to destroy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, this becomes an unfortunately uh, common choice that they have to make for the rest of their journey. Would y'all eat me if we were in this position? Yeah. Okay, good. No doubt. I mean... I appreciate Kelvin's hesitation. No. It, <laughs> if we are at this point where we've been on the verge of death for like three months... Hey, I understand. Yeah, that's, it's going to be rough. I'm, I'm, I've been bulking. It's okay. I'm, I'm preparing myself. <laughs> Should I volunteer myself? It'd be like, hey, y'all want to eat me? <laughs> It's like, I'm done with this. Um, so Lawson Thomas, he's uh, eaten. And the next day, all the rations that they have managed to save are from the boat. They're, they're all gone. There's nothing left. 
January 23rd, Charles Shorter passes away and is consumed. January 27th, Isaiah Shepard. Was that the 14-year-old? No, this is the, this no. is the little boy. Oh. Thomas me. Nickerson is a 14 year old. Oh, okay. He floated away on boat too. We don't know what's happened to him yet. Uh, so yeah, January 27th, Isaiah Shepard passes away and is consumed. So there's only two people left on that boat? Yep. Three people? I think it's two. It's Obed Hendricks and Joseph West, correct? At this point, yes, I believe that is correct. So the next day, uh, January 28th, Samuel Reed is the fourth member of the crew to be cannibalized oh okay also on january 28th the boat that uh was led by obed Hendricks, along with william bond and joseph west those were the three on that boat left Mm. they become separated from boat one and are never seen alive again oh yikes so now all the survivors are floating that they've given up all hope of trying to navigate these ships. They are just waiting to die at this point and hoping that someone will find them in the vast ocean. That's horrifying. Being stuck out in the ocean like that is yeah, genuinely one of it's, it's, I, I hate that. I, I hate that. Yeah. And it's like space. But not. Yeah, actually, they are not too far from. It's called Point Nemo, and it is a point in the Pacific Ocean that is the farthest from land you can get. Oh, and it's far enough out that actually, if you are in a boat at Point Nemo, the closest people to you physically are in the International Space Station. Oh my! Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Named what? after 20,000 leagues under the sea? That Captain Nemo? Possibly. Mm. Oh, that's fun. But it, that's I think it also crazy. means like nowhere, nothing, or something like that. The Latin of oh. Nemo or Greek, whatever. So yeah, no, it's a bad situation they're <laughs> in. On February 8th, Isaac Cole, another fatality... He is also consumed. I will say this. He is the last person to be cannibalized Let's on go. boat two. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's tragic. Well, they only ate one on boat two. I think that's pretty admirable of them. Because they, on February 18th, they are found by the British ship, the Indian. Oh. Oh. This was 89 days after the Essex sank. So Chase. Benjamin Lawrence and Thomas Nickerson are rescued. Yeah, Tommy made it. And survived. We'll rewind a few days. Now he's got a horrible go back to boat one. Oh man, this is rough. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So on boat one, February 1st, a new choice is going to be made that we haven't seen yet. The men on the boat decided that they could not wait for the next person to die in uh-huh. order to provide food for the rest of them. And so it was decided that the remaining four would draw lots to decide who was next to go. This is like a very common tradition 
it, it was seen as like uh, the way to do things, sell things, drawing lots. They didn't have rock, paper, scissors? Does this make it a skill game? No, no, it's pure luck. And so you you draw, you know, like the short straw, that that's drawing lots. And so young Owen Coffin, the 17-year-old cousin of Captain Pollard, is selected as mm. he draws the short stick. Captain Pollard had, of course, promised his aunt that he would take care of him, like the boy's mother, and so attempts to volunteer to take Owen Coffin's place. Well, that's pretty noble. But? But Coffin was apparently determined to follow the will of fate, huh. and so is willing to sacrifice himself, supposedly saying that his lot was as good as everyone else's. And that's just how it worked. So then they had to draw lots again to Who decide who's going to kill Young Owen Coffin. Oh, no. And Charles Ramsdell oh, okay. that's good. was selected okay. to shoot Coffin, and Coffin succumbed to his fate and was eaten. So, February 11th, Barzillai Ray passes away. And Captain Pollard and Charles Ramsdell, the final two survivors, consume him. The two were found a few days later on, on February 23rd. They were found by the whale ship Dolphin 93 days after their ship sank. The two were dissociating and were not aware that the other ship was there and found clutching the bones of their former crewmates, Ooh. sucking the marrow. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Quick note on the nutritional value of cannibalism. It's really terrible. Ooh. If you wait until you are as emaciated as they are, you get practically zero nutrients from eating people because you have no fat for the nutrients to yeah. be absorbed into your body. But by eating the marrow from their bones, Captain Pollard and Charles Ramsdell were able to gain enough fat and nutrients to help them survive just long enough to be able to be rescued. That's awful. That's like really terrible. Man, we should have picked the Christmas top. I just ruined my night. Uh so yeah, on March 17th, the five survivors are reunited and in the process of their recovery, they inform the authorities that, hey, we left three guys on an island out in the ocean and gave them as best directions as they could. And on April 5th, 1821, the whale ship Surrey landed on that island and found all three of them alive. Mm. Wow. They were on the verge of dehydration because their freshwater spring had run dry mm -hmm. and they, you know, basically eradicated all life on the island, but they survived. They were there. They were alive. And um, like I said, we never see anyone from the third whale ship uh, alive again, but a whale ship that had been modified for ocean travel does wash up 
on an uh, island a few months later, and inside there are there were three skeletons, and so there that's assumed that's who what three. happened. So to recap, <laughs> the twenty crew of the Essex is in the Galapagos. They destroy an island. They get attacked by the whale. Only eight of that twenty survive. Seven of those twenty were eaten. Captain Pollard doesn't even wait for the year to end before he gets out on another whale ship. Ah! He's out there again. And oh, but, he's like Captain. But in February of 1823, his second maiden voyage as a captain sinks in a storm off the coast of Hawaii. He survives again, (laughs) but no one wants to hire him now because he's unlucky. And so he would never go to work as a whaler again, but he spends the rest of his life as a policeman on Nantucket. And is somewhat of a celebrity for having gone through what he did. The young cabin boy, Thomas Nickerson. He was also on that same shipwreck the second time. Oh, he got back on the same ship with that guy? He got back on with Captain Pollard. There's no way. Man, if that happened to me, especially if I'm 14 years old, I'm never touching water again. I'm never bathing again. (laughs) I don't bathe right now. They were going back home to an island. It's like... (laughs) I mean, traumatize everywhere I go. I don't care. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, Thomas Nickerson, even though he survives those two shipwrecks, he goes on to have a very successful career in the Merchant Navy. And in 1876, would actually write his account of his time on the Essex. But for a variety of reasons, it was never published and sort of lost to history for almost a hundred years, but was rediscovered in the 1960s and then was published posthumously in 1984. Uh. And that's that's part of the narrative more definitive other than the eyewitness testimonies. Owen Chase would also go on to write a very famous account of the voyage, which was published in his time. And this book that he writes um, would serve a direct inspiration to Herman Melville. In fact, he gives him a signed copy while he's writing Moby Dick. And like that's in his possessions. And uh, Herman Melville, he like interacted with these guys. He thought like they were some of the bravest men he knew, right? So yeah, that that's the story of the Essex. Uh, The Nantucket whaling industry peaks 1850s. Last commercial whaler goes out 1927. It it declines rapidly. Main reasons for this being that we basically almost wipe out whale populations around the world. Estimated that about two thirds of all the whales were killed within a hundred years. Also contributing to the decline of the industry was that we found replacements for whale oil. Steam? Uh, No, petrochemicals. Oh. So oil, oil. Yeah. Um, So like kerosene, black oil, they basically could do everything that whale oil could do. And 
it's a lot less labor intensive. Yeah. I mean, it's still a rough job, but, you know, you don't have to go out on a ship for three years. You can go to and wait for it for to get delivered. Months. You can just poke a hole. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that it, it all gets replaced. And whaling operations persist in a small manner off the west coast of the United States and in Alaska up until 1972. And that year, the U.S. bans the killing of whales for anyone living in the U.S. and expanded it to, they made it more intensive of no one can kill whales in U.S. territorial waters in 1976. Mm. In 1986, the International Whaling Commission began a international ban on all commercial whaling. There's still some countries that are not <clears throat> signatories to that commission. For sure. So that so there is still some commercial whaling, name namely Japan and Norway are like the big Norway, the big ones. <laughs> and uh whaling is still allowed in the US and Canada for like indigenous really? hunting. Uh... Um they get like permits and stuff and they're allowed to do that to keep their practices alive. But yeah, for the most part, we've decided as a culture that waveling is not uh, something we should continue to do. Probably a good idea. Given that, uh, especially the more that we do science wise, like the intelligence of whales and like, Oh, these guys have like feelings and communicate with each other and are like, Super smart. And yeah, we kind of feel bad for that. <laughs> and then as far as like the cannibalism aspect of the story with these types of situations, the phenomena, it basically stops in 1884. Cannibalism? Well, the instance <laughs> of like, people if people are shipwrecked and they are at sea, that they will voluntarily draw lots to eat each other type Why? of thing. So basically there was a court case in 1884. Um, a yacht called the Mignonette capsized on its way to Australia. The four crew members got together. Um, it was Captain Tom Dudley, Edwin Stevens, Edmund Brooke, and a 17-year-old cabin boy named Richard Parker. And they run out of food and water and they're in the situation of where they're discussing whether or not they need to eat somebody, but they don't really come to an agreement. And so eventually while Richard Parker is, he's either asleep or he's like basically unconscious from dehydration. Uh, Captain Dudley and Mr. Stevens kill him and then eat him. Mm hmm. And they are eventually rescued. And whenever they return to England, they just, you know, willingly admit to all this happening to the police. Because it's like this custom of the sea that this is how we do things as a matter of desperation, you know. Well, because they admitted to killing a guy, like they didn't draw the lots like normally happens. 
Um, oh, they broke custom. Yeah, so they were arrested for murder and put on trial. And this becomes like a huge cause celebre. It's like big news story. And a lot of people are like rooting for them because of like the history of like, you know, yeah, they were desperate. I would have done the same thing if I were them. He was basically dead already, you know? Um, That's crazy. Yeah. It, I wouldn't have done it. It I turns into this whole thing. And the trial ends with the court ruling that the men basically committed manslaughter, but they're not on trial for manslaughter. They're on trial for murder. And so we have to either, and because there's an element of premeditation and intentionalness of it, um, they have to decide whether or not they are going to execute these people for murder or let them go scot-free, basically. This is why you bring forward as many charges as you can. <laughs> Dumb uh, lawyers. Dumb lawyers. <laughs> yeah, and they're British, so... Oh, well, that ruins everything. Uh, but... they're not French. <laughs> French legal system is stupid. Oh, man. I, I have a lot of French slander on this podcast or something. <laughs> the <laughs> French legal system's just dumb. I don't... I, I agree. I mean, I don't know a lot, but I'm sure... We talked about this last week, Ed. You oh, did? Yeah. How often are you having conversations with the French legal system? Very, very often. Yeah, they'll be talking about how there's a difference between like the Napoleonic and yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was very briefly, but we did talk about it. But uh, so yeah, basically they were uh, found guilty because uh, it was decided that it was not the place of the crew to unilaterally decide who should live or die, and that they could not condone the actions of these men no matter how sympathetic the court might be to their situation and so they were sentenced to death but they were recommended to the queen to get a pardon because of their situation extenuating circumstances yeah. <laughs> and so ultimately they only served about six months imprisonment which is what they would have gotten for manslaughter and after this legal case happens, you basically have no more admitted cases of gonna say. naval cannibalism in the English-speaking world because they've established the precedent that you can't get away with it. As far as the legality of cannibalism in general, <laughs> uh, actually, in a lot of places, the act of cannibalism itself is not criminalized. But it's basically impossible to participate in it without breaking some other law like desecration of a corpse or murder, you know. I think in the United States, Idaho is the only state that has a law explicitly against cannibalism. Really? So. Interesting. So I wonder if if before a person passes away, they write it into their will that like, Jesus. hey. Well, the moment, the moment that I pass away, throw me on the grill, okay? <laughs> throw me on the grill, put some cheese on top, get some veggies in there. Like, it, you know, it, if you mm -hmm. do that in that, at, in that point, you know, not only has the, the individual consented, if I mean, you don't ethical. do it. Yeah, it's unethical. You are failing to, to fulfill their dying wish. 
So there have been a handful of cases where people have said <laughs> that, you know, no, he consented to me doing this. <laughs> but the one that I saw that I remember that, like, he was like, no, he consented to me here. I got like, and right, he consented to it. Well, he still <laughs> killed the guy. So he got still got for murder because you can't consent to murder, apparently. Like, you can't consent to someone else killing you in that way. Oh, and also, they still get him for desecration of a corpse. They'll still interesting. get you on that. Um, what if a doctor does it? Oh, well, that's euthanasia, and that just depends on your locality. Exactly. We were talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if a, a doctor can legally, in some cases kill an individual and so if the person if the person in the you know the hospital bed's like hey man you look pretty hungry (laughs) (laughs) wow uh yeah so but before we go i do have one more story to tell i'll try to go fast i believe it to be like one of the strangest coincidences in human history that so 1838 you have edgar Allan poe okay you know famous american poet and short story author. Well, he in 1838, he wrote his first and only full-length novel. This novel was titled The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. It's a whaling story. And it follows the titular character going on whaling voyage, whatever. Uh, it's a weird book. Like, it starts off kind of normal Moby Dick style. Hey, I'm off on this whaling voyage. Da 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 da. Oh, I'm interacting with native people in these exotic lands. So cool. But there's like a lot of weird, because it's Edgar Allan Poe, like creepy yeah. tone stuff with it and imagery. So, like, for example, there's a mutiny on the ship. And in order to survive the mutiny, uh, Pim, the main character, he disguises himself as a another member of the crew who had died previously <laughs> and to like make him seem like a ghost and scare the rest of the crew into not killing him, basically. And they managed to take control of the uh, vessel in that way. They find like a ship full of skeletons after a storm. Real creepy stuff. And the novel ends abruptly after they've sailed to like the South Pole and they're going through an ice cave. And basically the Grim Reaper comes out of nowhere and is about to kill a guy and the book just ends. It's weird. People really don't know what he was going on. Um, <laughs> It wasn't popular because it's a weird ass book and it has a bunch of like plot holes in it because it'll say like, oh, yeah, this person died. But then after the fact, he's like, oh, yeah, then he gave me his dog years later. And it's like, mm. oh, how can he do that? Um, the will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the reason why I bring it up is because after this mutiny and storms and stuff, there is a scene where Pim and his crewmates have to resort to cannibalism to survive custom of the scene and the name of the character which they consume in this book is a young Richard Parker who was the name of the man who 
uh, was consumed in the court case I just told you all about. Oh, uh, court case. So basically what happened is somehow Edgar Allan Poe predicted the death and cannibalization of a man almost 40 years in the future. I mean, yeah, 46 years. What? He wrote this novel about 40 or 50 years. Richard Parker is cannibalized after his ship is sunk. That's crazy. I mean, that can't be 50 years later. Richard Parker is consumed after his shipwreck happens. That can't be too... Cr- how, how many Richard Parkers do you think are out there in the world? Wait, how many of them are whaling <laughs> and a shipwreck That's and then fair. get eaten? That's fair. Hmm. That's crazy. So yeah, that's uh, the, the story of the Essex. I have no, no commentary on that, no thoughts to share. I am just deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, no, it, it's horrifying. <laughs> I am. That was really unsettling. I am, I am so happy I got this Dr. Pepper, something sweet to calm me down because, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no, all the death is, and it's all like to just, yeah, that's like the most extreme case, but like, People were dying horrible deaths like this somewhat regularly, like enough to where they have a custom of the sea, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't happen to me, though. Oh, yeah? You're just built different? I would, if if the sea tried to kill me, I would just live. Yeah. Yeah. If I died at sea, if I died at sea, I would just survive. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, actually, uh, they made a movie about the Essex back in 2015, which is based on a book about it. It's called In the Heart of the Sea. Oh, that's the one thing. It's Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, Cillian Murphy, Tom Holland, Brennan Gleeson. It's like a stacked cast. Um, but yeah, it goes and shows the story of the Essex. Do they eat Tom Holland? Oh, no. Wait, Tom Holland would be the little boy, wouldn't he? Tom Holland, I I think oh. he plays Nickerson, yeah. Okay, so do they do they eat Killian Murphy? Do they eat Brendan Gleeson? I don't know exactly who all gets eaten, but most of them probably, right? Um, and I did mention that, uh, like, the racism got worse. Uh, yes. They basically ate all the black people first. Oh, I was, wor- I, I was worried that that's where that yeah. was going. Full circle. What? You know, it, it's because the black people died first so it's not their fault but were also... they giving them less food to eat okay I mean, we just have their word okay so wow and they're not gonna yeah they're not gonna admit to that but given the time i would uh, i would assume you know it, that's awful they did throw a couple people overseas first and didn't yeah. eat them, and then they started eating them so like hmm I don't know, but um, yeah, so that whaling is a cautionary tale, I guess. Uh, I'll make sure not to go whaling. Yeah. Like, it's, there's a masculine, like, romanticization of the whaling industry. I mean, the ocean rocks. Yeah. Boats like, rock. Boats rock. <laughs> yeah. And also, Dudes it's like rock. this brutal backbreaking labor and camaraderie with guys that <laughs> we just like to romanticize me and like my sweaty workers and cowboys and soldiers you know it's just me and my sweaty boys never catch out at work shit. the yeah. iwc does not have to worry about me 
<laughs> um so yeah and that's that's all i got for y'all so uh i'm glad we got that one yeah again no commentary uh lots to think about lots to talk to my therapist yeah, about. Very self-reflective yeah. hey you know <laughs> What are you, what are you self reflecting for? Is there a guilt from all the cannibalism you've done that's resurfacing? No, but I'm like, man, maybe maybe my job isn't so bad. <laughs> maybe, maybe I have it okay. It's monotonous, but nobody tries to eat me. I don't have to eat anybody else. So yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and close us out. I guess. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed today's topic, please tell your friends about us. For those who want to go a bit deeper, I put notes and photos and articles down in the show notes for y'all our instrumental music is by mountaineer you can find their stuff and more on upbeat.io it's always we want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on occupied land that rightfully belongs to the kiowa comanche tonkwa as well as other indigenous peoples if you have any questions suggestions for future episodes or you just want to say hi you can reach out to us at history spelunkers that's history S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Thank you, too, for being on the show for the first time. Uh, it was a blast. Thanks for having us. Hi, hi, for having us. I'm glad we learned. And, uh, I don't know if I call it a blast. I'm very depressed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I had fun. <laughs> I had fun. And now I can, you know, I, I've joined the ranks of a million other insufferable white men who've been on podcasts. Hey, so. you know what? Check that off my bucket list. It's it's fun. It's a fun time. So, till next time. Bye bye. she blows. <laughs> <laughs>